So we're going to be in Luke. Uh, I bet you're not surprised about that. We're only in chapter 14. Uh, verse by verse in Luke is a long process, I'll tell you. Now, I see why I've avoided him in the past. Uh, so we're going to begin at, at verse 1 of Luke chapter 14. Uh, you know, Jesus is leaving Perea and working his way, walking towards Jerusalem in his last trip to Jerusalem. He seems to be increasingly aware that this is his last trip. So he's walking from Perea and uh, he's had a number of confrontations. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't know who's dumber, but these Pharisees keep inviting him to uh, brunch. It's, you know, the Sabbath day brunch after Sabbath services. And they, they keep inviting him. So, I, you know, I, I think here we go again. You know, we're back. Breakfast with the Pharisees, you know. And it came to pass that he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day. Now, I picture this as a pretty small congregation because we're not in Jerusalem and we're not in a big city. We're actually walking towards Jerusalem. So I don't think he's in a congregation much larger than we're in right now. But nonetheless, it's customary to invite significant guests when they come to church, home to dinner, and they did that. And... Uh, and Jesus accepted. And with all the trouble he's had with him, you'd think, hey, you know, just say no, Jesus. Just say no. But this one goes a little bit better. And what, what interests me, as I read this at the beginning of the week and started to think about what we talk about today, I thought, Jesus is so courageous. He's, he says things to people that we would never say, at least I would never say, I'm too big a chicken to say things like that, you know. And when I was teaching high school, you, you got used to correcting the class. And, and there's, there seems to be a little bit of, of that there. But I know to the Pharisees, they would think, this, this man just doesn't know his place, you know, because it's not up to him to correct our behavior. And... And the truth of our story today is they don't know Jesus' place. They don't recognize who's here. And it's just an incredible tragedy. So then, behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. I don't have any idea why this fellow's here. Chuck Missler thinks it was a plant. I almost don't. I almost think it was accidental because... Interestingly enough, the Pharisees didn't pay much attention to this guy. Uh, dropsy sounds horrible, and it is, but it, it kind of gives you the, the impression that the guy walks along a little bit and then drops, but that's not what dropsy is. Dropsy is a water retention on a clinical level. Edema, I think a doctor might call it. It's caused from heart failure liver failure, kidney failure, cancer, malnutrition. There were some diets in the Middle East that would cause it. Now, I've had that with medication that I've taken for too long, and I tell them, time to get off that medication because you've got edema, and it could cause you to have a heart attack. But it would have to be pretty bad for people to know it. I mean, to just walk into a room and see, oh, Bob's got edema, that's bad. You know, I mean... It, of course, maybe their legs were sticking out and you could see it right away, but it just didn't seem like it would have drawn much attention unless it was very bad. 
And when you think about Jesus just healing it miraculously, there should be a message about who this is sitting down to breakfast with you, should there not? I, I don't know. This is anyway the only example in the entire Bible where this disease is healed. Uh, so you almost get the impression from the next verse that, that, that the Pharisees were thinking about setting him up or they had set him up because Jesus gives this kind of like, okay, you got this guy that's sick. It's the Sabbath day. You've invited me to lunch. Okay, the ball's in my court here. So then he puts the ball back in their court and he says to them, and Jesus answered and spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And no one said anything. They held their peace. Now, Maybe it was the tone in his voice. I don't know. You know, maybe they'd heard about what had happened in other communities. I, I don't know. But why were they quiet? There's a pretty passive uh, group of Pharisees in this town. You know, they held their peace. And he answered them saying, which of you shall have a donkey or, or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And is this guy not worth more than, than your donkey? You know. And they could not answer him again to these things. So they held their peace. Praise the Lord. And he put forth a parable to those that were bidden. And he healed the guy. Did I read that to you? Maybe I skipped it. Yeah, I didn't read the end of verse 4. And they held their peace. He took him and healed him and let him go. And he answered saying, Which of you shall have a donkey or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to these things. You know, we get a little misguided with our animals sometimes. Sometimes we put more concern about our animals than we do about people. And Jesus is pointing this out. So once again, he heals this guy. And this time, with apparently little resentment, at least not that's told, or maybe they already know the plan of getting Jesus killed and they're not going to involve I don't know. If it was a plant, they chose not to take advantage of what would be deemed a failure on, on Jesus' part. But the interesting thing to me is it would appear, let me get up to verse 7. Okay, yeah, it is. I have it up there. I, thank you. Uh, he put forth a parable to those which were bidden when he had marked, when he had marked, when he had marked how they chose out the chief rooms, actually the first reclining places, literally in the Greek the first places of reclining, uh, they weren't in different rooms. They were actually in one room, and they were all vying to sit next to probably the, the chief Pharisee, would be my guess. Certainly, they weren't vying to sit next to Jesus. You know. But you get the impression here you know, that while this healing is going on, while these people have an opportunity to see God in the flesh, do a miraculous healing of a disease or a, a physical ailment that's never happened before in the history of mankind, they're arguing or at least shuffling around playing musical chairs, musical pads, if you will, musical fellows, trying to decide who's going to get to sit closest to whom and who's going to sit where and all that stuff. And, and, and you know, it's, it's funny and sad. Both at the same time. Each one striving to get into the best seat. Sit closest to the right fellow. You know, apparently when you went home for Sabbath dinner, they didn't have place settings and you didn't have your name there. We could, we walk around now and find out where our name is. Our main concern, my main concern when I go to a meal like that, when we go to the 
banquet in the fall. It's not how close will I be to the speaker. My concern is how how long will it be before my table is called <laughs> to go to the buffet, you know. And so I, I, I'm glad they assign us seats because I'm always trying to figure out which table is going to be called first or second or third. Uh, but that, that wasn't the issue here. You know. And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden. When he marked how they chose out of the chief rooms, saying to them, when thou art bidden, any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, the highest seat, lest a more honorable man than me be bidden of him. And he that bade him and him that come and say to thee, give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lower room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he had bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, friend, go up higher, then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat. I don't know. It, it, it fascinates me that he was willing to enter into this controversy. I mean, my God, they're supposed to be grown-ups, you know? What? I, I, I don't know if I'd even try to correct them. I might laugh at them, but I don't think I'd even try to correct them. Um, I, I find that interesting. Are, are you, am I going to have to kick my wife out? Is that what's happening here? Yeah. We're having a Sunday school discussion here. Yeah. All right. I just find it fascinating that I heard about a preacher one time that he had a bunch of young seminary kids come to his house and every Monday night or Wednesday night or something, one night they'd come over to his house for dinner and they'd talk and all this stuff. He'd, he'd fix them dinner and then they'd talk and then he'd get up and put the dishes away and they'd talk. And then, you know, after a year, he said to them, you know, you've watched me prepare the meal for you every week for a year and get up and clean the dishes and put them away and not once. Have you gotten up to help me? And I thought, wow, what a truth. But it takes courage to say stuff like that. You know, what Jesus is doing, it, take, it takes courage to say this. For whosoever exalteth himself, I think I have that on the slide, shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And really, he's, did I put it up here? Yeah, I have it here. He's actually just teaching them something they already know in Proverbs uh, 25. Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king and stand not in the place of great men. For better it is that said unto thee, come up hither than thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince whom thine eyes have seen. Jesus is really just teaching them a Sunday school lesson to these Pharisees. And I can just see them looking up from there, shuffling around, trying to find the right pillow and thinking, oh, I guess I'm making a scene here, aren't I? You know, I, I was a Christian maybe a year, perhaps two, just, just married. I, I think Linda went on this. I wish she was still here. I'd ask her. 
uh, when one of my cousins got married in a Catholic church outside of, I think, Alexandria, Virginia. And my mother, we took my mother. I think it was just my mother, Linda, and I, but my memory's not good. We're talking 60 years ago. 50, anyway. 50 years ago. And my mother was leading the way into the Catholic church. And, of course, we were on the bride's side, so we were over here. And she just steamed right on up to the row behind the front row and sat down. And I followed her in. I sat down. I said, Mom, this is probably reserved for the family. She says, well, I'm family. And we were sitting just about just about where we sit now, except over one side. And I said, I don't know, Mom. I'm, I'm, I don't know. And then it wasn't long after that that I don't remember who in the family came up and said, Aunt Marion, uh, you uh, really need to move back a row because this is reserved for the family. And I, I, I had just read that in the Bible as a brand new Christian. I might have been a Christian two years, and when I sat down, I was so embarrassed. And then when I got up, I was really embarrassed, and I thought, oh boy, this is like elementary school Christianity. You know. So we were asked to move back one row. I was very embarrassed. She wasn't. Yeah, she didn't. I don't know. Linda and I were embarrassed, though. And then this little phrase here comes up. I put it in red not because Jesus said it, but because I wanted you to see it. He said also to him that bade him. Wait a minute. That was the chief Pharisee, right? So you've got you to take the rest of this piece that we're going to look at today as a message to the chief Pharisees, the one that invited him. I'm assuming that's what it means. When thou makest the dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and recompense be made. Now, wait a minute. Would I say that to the guy that invited me to dinner? You know, be careful who you invite. Uh, now, I don't believe Jesus is against us having dinner with relatives or friends. Don't get me wrong. I think Jesus saw an ulterior motive going on here in the invitation to this dinner, but there's a message there for all of us. And he actually repeats this lesson over and over. The point, I, I suppose, I actually don't suppose I know the real point. But the point I suppose is, if, if I'm hoping to get some kind of spiritual credit for what I'm doing, it can't be for people that I expect to pay me back. So maybe Jesus knew Having known all things, I think it's a good chance of it. But maybe he understood that whoever invited him, if it is a chief Pharisee, had ulterior motives in the names of those people whom he invited. Maybe he had an ulterior plan or an ulterior motive. And uh, Jesus is addressing the heart issue of this Pharisee, which I think is interesting. But the point is, you can't just do nice things to people because we expect them to do nice things back for us back to us and then expect God to pat us on back and say oh you're doing a really good job Bob and Jesus wanted to point this error out and he's sitting down to eat with these people and so far he's offended them three times which is better than the shouting match the last time he had breakfast with the Pharisees but still he's he's not off to a good foot he's not off on a good foot I think is the right way to say it now he pointed this out on the Sermon on the Mount I don't think I'm there yet here in the thing. When thou makest a feast, call the poor and the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And I hate to tell you, I don't do that. Uh, maybe I'd rather not have a feast than to go out and get 
the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And it's just, and thou shalt be blessed for they cannot recompense thee. I understand that. Do for others that you don't expect to do back for you. That makes sense. But then you'll be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. I'm not sure I want to make a dinner in that situation. But I say unto you, Matthew, from the Sermon on the Mount. It's funny how liberals will say, well, Luke stole this from Matthew, or I, I read where Matthew stole this from Luke, or they both got it from Mark, and I think that's so silly. Jesus taught these lessons over and over and over again. If, if you're looking for accuracy, I think Matthew is probably the most word-for-word word of what Jesus said, but I think every one of them are true to their words, and I don't think there's any reason to think that Matthew stole this from Luke. That's silly. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. I love this because I hear a lot of people they're not saved but they say I just believe if we if we follow the Sermon on the Mount we'll be alright. Yeah, that's probably true but if you could do that you wouldn't need to be saved. You wouldn't be lost. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you if you do not even the publicans the same? Those that work for the federal government, and the tax collectors and lawyers. And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. They, they, they supposedly hated the publicans. I don't hate tax collectors. I'm not in love with taxes, but I love the way he closes out this message. I just believe that if I keep the Sermon on the Mount, I'll be all right. That's true if you keep it. Yeah, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which in heaven is perfect. If you can do that, you're ready to walk right into heaven and say, I'm home, Dad. You know, yeah. People seem to skip that verse when they keep the Sermon on the Mount, don't they? But the point is, this is this is a lesson that Jesus has taught over and over again as he traveled. And, and as word got around more and more, he would repeat these things. So as it happened before, when Jesus is teaching, someone says something. Oh my, won't it be wonderful when we sit down with God in the kingdom of, you know. Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. So this, this Pharisee had this hope of sitting down with God and having breakfast with God. Or dinner. Or a feast. We have that too, don't we? We believe that not long after we're raptured out of here, we're going to sit down to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's what Jesus promised. He's going to gird himself in service. It's going to be quite a meal. That's what this guy's hoping for. Now, Jesus is so sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit here that he turns his whole lesson to our new subject. Who's going to get into the dinner? This Pharisee is, you know, maybe enjoying the meal so much, he's thinking, I'm looking forward to this, you know. Uh, the honor of sitting down to a great feast with God himself. He doesn't realize he's doing that right now, you know. And then he said unto him, so far he's directed his lessons in three different directions, I hope you see that. 
A certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come, for all things are now ready. You know. This parable of the great supper is in response to this guy talking about a feast in heaven with God. I want you to see that, you know. Understand in this parable the invitation is past tense. This man had already invited them. They have accepted the invitation. And they probably didn't RSVP in that culture, but they said, yes, we will be there. My family will be there. The invitation goes out. The RSVPs come back. This man kills the animals, prepares the vegetables, gets all the fruit. He's all ready to go. It's now five o'clock. The, the feast is prepared. His animals have been killed. The money has been spent. And now he's sending out word. Dinner's ready. The preparations are finished. And they all with one consent begin to make excuse. The first said unto him, I bought a piece of ground. And I must needs go and see it. In my case, it would be I bought a new sailboat. I need to try it out. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. In our case, that would be a new tractor. And I go to test them, to prove them. Pray have me excused. Are you kidding me? This guy bought land sight unseen and now needs to go check it out? This guy bought a tractor and doesn't even know if it runs? No, not likely. I love this other guy. This other guy says Listen, I, I've married a wife. <laughs> Therefore, I cannot come. Really? You accepted his invitation and then made your wedding date on the same time as the invitation? Really? You know, that's always the same, isn't it? It's always the same. I'm too busy fishing or hunting. I'm too busy working. I've got a job to do. I've got responsibilities. I've got an investments. I have to work. My family keeps me. All these excuses, always the same about why we can't do what we told God we were going to do. Always the same. Well, go on, click the thing. There we go. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. And said the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is still room. By the way, that's us. That's us. Israel said, Mount Sinai, yes, we'll do whatever you tell us to do. We're in it. We're in it for the long run, Lord. Until the long run happened. And then they said, we're busy. And the Lord said unto the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. That's me. Drug me right off my motorcycle and right into the kingdom of God. And I'm not complaining one bit. That my house may be filled. The religious people didn't want Jesus. But I did. For I say unto you, that none of those which were bidden or invited in our vernacular shall taste of my supper. I, I think this parable is more than a parable. Don't you? you know, 
The invitations to the real supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb, went out a long time ago. First to Israel. First to Israel. They were bidden first. And the RSVP that they would come. We'll be there. When you want us, we'll be there, Lord. And they even think they're going. This guy's sitting there and says, boy, won't it be great when we can sit down in the kingdom and eat with God? Unaware of the fact that he's sitting down in Israel eating with God right there. Unwilling to acknowledge that fact. Even though they've seen a miracle of significant proportion right in front of their eyes. Unaware of who they're eating breakfast with. Or brunch, to be literal. But now, the lamb is about to be offered. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's, he's the meal, you understand. I am the bread of life. The lamb is about to be offered. The meal is to be prepared. His body will be offered for our sins and his blood will flow for our forgiveness. And now Israel won't come to the supper because he doesn't fit their idea of a decent meal or a decent sacrifice or a decent offering. They didn't get it. They all have one excuse or another why Jesus is unacceptable. He was too uneducated or he was too poor or he didn't follow our rules. He didn't obey our our cultural norms. I don't like the people he hangs out with. I don't like the way he eats. He doesn't wash his hands properly. I don't like those disciples. Now, that's a frightening verse, 24, which is where we're ending in Luke. Except I want to jump back one chapter to how he ended last week's message, if I could. Oh. How's my time going good? Now, I probably should have left verse 28 out because it just kind of complicates things, but he's telling people that they will not be invited into the kingdom. And and he says this in verse 29. And they shall come from the east and from the west. We're from the west. And from the north and from the south. And shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And I didn't include the last verse. But the last verse is, you will be thrust out. What a terrible, terrible message. I don't know if they could keep chewing or not. It'd be interesting to see their reaction when he makes a statement like that, as he did last week to them. This is becoming a recurring theme in all his lessons when he talks with people. Is that if you don't recognize what's being offered you today, you are going to be shut out of the kingdom. That's the message. Frightening, frightening thought. Now, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper here. And I think it's been a while uh, since we've had the Lord's Supper because neither me or the prayers, preparers can ever remember when we're supposed to be doing it. But. I can't remember when we did it last, to tell you the truth. But this pictures, for those of us who believe, a beautiful I don't believe there's any magic or spiritual power or blessing that's bestowed upon those who partake of the Lord's Supper because I see it as an example. It's, it's a visible parable, if you will. And as I spoke at the funeral last week, the fact that when Jesus celebrated this, he took unleavened bread. By the way, 
Judges from that bread dish, Genesis 11. Yeah, yeah, a little puffy over there. You know, 11 represents sin and how it puffs you up with sin. You know, unleavened represents purity and and the idea of unleavened bread. This he said, take this is my body which is broken for you. It's not about the broken body because Jesus' body wasn't broken. This is about the purity of Jesus' body, that he was indeed the pure, sinless Son of God who took our sins to the cross in our place. And without that purity, his death would have been meaningless. So when we take this bread, it reminds us that Jesus offered his own body as a sacrifice in our place. And as we drink this cup, we're reminded that it's his blood that was spilt on Calvary that cleanses us from our sins. He is indeed what God was setting up all the way back in Egypt at that first Passover. When they offered that lamb, Jesus was always intended to be that lamb. Now I've asked three guys to come up and help me here if you would, and Les and Bill and I believe Kenny, if you would. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, for I have received of the Lord that which also I have delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. So following this example, Lord, we give thanks for the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, who willingly went to the cross for us. And we recognize, Father, that salvation is in Christ. And until Christ is in us, we cannot be saved. So we bow our heads, Father, and we invite Christ into our hearts. We receive Him as our Savior. And He said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of After the same manner also he took the cup and he stopped saying, this cup is the new testament, the new contract, the new agreement in my blood. The new agreement in his blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show, and the King James show, S-H-E-W, shoe, uh, it means to proclaim. It means to proclaim the Lord's death for us. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes.